Hey everyone, thanks for checking out this episode of the Aquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin and I'm just here to give you a quick little intro before another intro that you're about to hear because if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that there's a couple weeks throughout the year that we kind of take a week off, uh, usually around the holidays, and we'll re-release some of our more popular episodes that people may have missed and we think have really good content that uh, you definitely want to check out. And that also allows us to continue to deliver you some content when we're not able to record and release a new episode that week. So this week is the week of the 4th of July, which is a holiday here in the States, and we are not in the office. So we are taking this week off and we are re-releasing one of our more popular episodes. It is episode 127, Sustainable Seafood in the Restaurant industry with Derek Figueroa of Seattle Fish Company. It's a really, really cool conversation. You learn a lot about the ins and outs of sustainable seafood and how it relates to distribution within the restaurant industry and um, gotten some really good feedback and it's gotten a lot of downloads. So if people miss this one, you know, this was released back in February, 2022. So I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who have come on board since then and uh, may have missed this episode. So I want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to hear this conversation that we had because it's pretty cool. So thanks for bearing with us on one of these off weeks and uh, enjoy this re-release of episode number 127 with Derek Figueroa. I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we are sitting down with Derek Figueroa, who is the president and CEO of Seattle Fish Company, which is actually not in Seattle. It's actually based in Denver, Colorado, and you'll hear kind of that story and why how that worked out. Um, but Derek uh, and his company reached out to our email address, or they use the contact form, which we'll tell you how to do that in a minute, to say, hey, we'd love to come on the show and talk about sustainable seafood in the restaurant industry. And that's kind of something that we haven't really talked too much about. Uh, we don't really focus on restaurants too much on this podcast, but it's obviously such a massive part of the industry. And yeah. so it sounded like a really cool conversation and it was. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us, like Sean was hinting at in the beginning of this intro, uh, you can do so by visiting globalseafood.org slash podcast. And lastly, as Maddie usually says, remember to take a couple minutes if you like the show, if you enjoy getting this content every week and you want to contribute and give back a little bit, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes and leave a review and a rating wherever you listen, especially if you're using Apple Podcasts on an iPhone um, because those reviews, the more reviews we get, written reviews, it's very important, um, the more of those that we get, the more it kind of work, helps the algorithm work in our favor and gets us on some charts and gets in front of more potential listeners. So we really appreciate it if you do that. And we want to thank you again for being a listener. And we will talk to you at the end. Enjoy our conversation with Derek. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down today with Derek Figueroa, who's the president and CEO of Seattle Fish Company, which is actually located in Denver. How's it going? We are 
It's going well. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, no, thanks for reaching out. Uh, Seattle Fish Company reached out to the show to propose talking about something that we haven't really delved into too much. If you hearken back to a few months ago, we had an episode with Sheila Lucero from Jack's Fish House. And that was one of the first times that we really kind of talked about the restaurant industry in a little more detail. Um, you know, she was involved in, in in that. And Seattle Fish Company reached out and said, hey, let's have a, a bigger conversation about sustainability and sustainable, responsible seafood in the restaurant industry. And we said, that's great. We don't, we don't talk enough about the restaurant yeah. industry. Um, I was saying a lot of the stuff that we talk about kind of almost stops at the distribution point. So let's go beyond that and let's talk about the next step when it gets to restaurants and what restaurants are looking for and stuff. But before we do that, Derek, I want to have you talk about Seattle Fish Company, talk about the history, talk about you know what you do and what your goals and missions are, and, uh, and then we'll get into it. Great. Thanks, Sean. So um, it's a perfect introduction, too, because we, Shilu Cero is a really important leader inside our community, inside sort of, not just inside Colorado, but I know she does a lot of lobbying. She does a lot of messaging on behalf of sustainability for the restaurant industry. So Yeah. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to that because that, that was a good one. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, and so maybe this, we, we can attempt to also just put the bridge between what the uh, sort of distributor to from from vendor to to distributor and the distributor to, to to Sheila. So I'm really excited to talk about the topic. Thanks again for having me on the show. Seattle Fish Company is uh, we actually started in 1918 back in Denver. We're a 103 year old company. Uh, we are named Seattle Fish Company, but located in Denver. Kind of the genesis of that was our founder Moe Iacino, who at 16 years old came over from Grimaldi, Italy. Uh, with his family and he was working in his brother's meat shop pretty entrepreneurial kind of wanted to find his own thing um and so legend has it like he you know we'd walk through he's a pretty personal person sort of walk through uh denver and, and on some of these sort of you know journeys he he befriended the chef on a train from seattle um and you know in in those conversations um they, you know he discovered the chef was bringing oysters or serving oysters on the train talked the chef into bringing additional oysters for uh, Mo's uh, on that train, and then in 1918 started, uh, you know, a business bringing oysters in on the train from Seattle, a wooden carts serving them, you know, dirt streets in, in downtown sort of Denver. So really pioneering uh, in, in those days. And, nice Molly you know, Malone been, style. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and there's actually like a really cool history I think with oysters and uh, Wells Fargo and stagecoaches and how they transport. So it's it's, it's you know. Uh, the more we dug into it, it was kind of cool to see that there's really a, a seafood story inside landlocked, you know, Colorado. And, and since those days, we've been really fortunate to call uh, Colorado home. We've grown a bit since 1918. So as we stand now, we are about 180 employees, 30 trucks serve um, around the Midwest, 24-hour um, operation. Um, we do about 15 million pounds of seafood a year, of which... 75% is fresh, uh, never frozen. So, you know, really we think of our um, and what we do as being, you know, specialty uh, seafood uh, and gourmet um, uh, company. The distribution is a part of it, but we think that there's a lot more um, sort of value that we provide both in, in terms of sourcing uh, and then making that bridge to you know, our customers, which would be um, probably post-COVID days, 60% retail, and 40% uh, restaurants. Pre-COVID, what was that? More restaurants? Uh, you know, it was um, it was it was about 50-50. So 
the, the restaurants have provided. And I, I know, you know, these shows live on forever, but COVID, uh, you know, was a pretty dramatic time. And I think when we talk about restaurants and this may be important context for the conversation later, is so incredibly resilient through COVID. And I think that's what makes you know, restaurants and restaurateurs so special. There's mm. resiliency, you know, they're in the hospitality business and they navigated the challenge of COVID really well while still continuing to stay true to values and their passion. We certainly saw a lot of creativity come out, especially from the restaurants. They, they, everyone had to shift and pivot what they were doing and figure out new ways to stay afloat. And it was really kind of cool to see all the different things that popped up. Well, things that have popped up, but also things that are probably going to stay for a while. And it's, yeah. we dream of a world where COVID isn't affecting us like it still is two years into it. But I think a lot of the innovations and this creativity that came from those restaurants is still going to be around post COVID. So it's great. Yeah. Even yeah. some of the infrastructure changes. I know we're here in Denver and there's just uh, like a huge push for the alfresco dining and expanding sort of outdoors. And that was by necessity because of the restrictions. But, you know, in some cases it more than doubled seating capacity and it provides for a really fun dining experience. And we've mm -hmm. seen, you know, Denver moved to even close some city blocks. Like it's not oh, like wow. a patio. It's like a city block to make, you know, alfresco even more uh, permanent. So, That's cool. You know, those are yeah some some topical changes, but I think it you know dramatically in, in, in changes some of the uh, maybe restaurant meals. So what is what does a day in the life look like at Seattle Fish Company? What is uh you know what what's kind of the process that you guys go through each day? So it's, it's kind of it is a twenty four hour process as as we talk about. Um, you know we start really early in, in the morning and, and sort of after the trucks depart. Um, you know we start our process of. Uh, receiving all new fish so you know we ship half of our, our product sort of by 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 volume uh, and then we air freight the, the rest of it so you know during the day we're doing a lot of uh, receiving we're doing a lot of uh, preparation so we'll hand cut uh, products and fish so it's it's really a lot of preparation for uh, you know taking orders at, at night so receiving activity fabrication cutting we have a couple same day trucks that we'll push out during the day but for the most part, it's sort of restocking our, our shelves uh, as sort of product comes back in. We do a lot of quality checks, um, goes through a you know whole sort of receiving department, and we have uh, 20 cutters, about 20 cutters, and we'll hand cut uh, a lot of you know higher value uh, fish like tunas and halibut, uh, some premium salmon, um, and then you know we'll start taking orders throughout the day, uh, and then kind of start around packing around 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Pack sort of throughout. And then we have a couple of trucks that go a quite a distance to uh, Utah, to, to Wyoming, uh, even into Montana. Those will leave, you know, maybe 10 o'clock that night. But for the rest of it, we'll sort of load trucks throughout the evening. And our first truck will leave at, you know, 3 p.m. for the mountains like Aspen and Vail. Uh, and then 5, I'm sorry, 3 a.m. And then 5 a.m. for the rest of the, the metro. Uh, and then those trucks leave at 5. And then, you know, receivers back again. at 6. Yeah. Restock and shells, right? So. Yeah rinse and repeat never gets boring but it's um, it's fun wow all right let's talk about restaurants like i said we haven't talked a lot about restaurants on the show and so there's still some mystery to it for me uh when it comes to sourcing for restaurants and and buying seafood because i think i think when a lot of people think of seafood at restaurants it's like oh catch of the day like they picture like the chef going down to the docks and like picking out fish that morning like what what is the actual real process for sourcing seafood at, at restaurants yeah, and it's going to depend. There's sort of you, you think of chefs and operations and restaurants themselves sort of on a on a continuum. So you'll have folks that are highly attuned, like Sheila Lucero, um, you know, who 
are very involved in their sourcing, that are very involved in uh, sustainability, sort of the attributes. Uh, and then you'll have others um, who will uh, be very interested and, and it's probably part of their, their passion, uh, but maybe not, don't have the luxury of investing so much time into it. And then I think other restaurants that want to have some assurance around um, uh, sort of quality and, you know, quality sort of ingredients and some of the provenance in, in the story. Uh, we don't really find anybody from restaurant level that's just disinterested in, in ingredients. That's the cool thing about restaurants is that it's kind of a hard way of life. And, you know, it's, um, you know, quality of life could be tough and hours are tough. We you know labor is tough. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you have to sort of get it right to, to be profitable. So the folks that are in it are really driven by sort of their passion are driven sort of by their interests. So it's not, it's not hobbies. So I think with that comes a high degree of uh, engagement around the dishes that they, they produce and, and the ingredients they, they put them into. So, um, you know, so on this continuum at the very high end, someone like Sheila, uh, we, we're fortunate in Denver to have our Denver International Airport. So we are landlocked. But one of the advantages that sort of Denver gives us is we're really centrally located. So it's relatively simple for us to bring in products from, you know, sort of all three coasts, East Coast, West Coast. Uh, Gulf Coast, even from Canada and sort of outside. I, mean, I think DIA might be the fifth largest airport in, in North America by passenger count. Wow. So, I mean, it kind of is, we think of it as our port in, in the city. Um, and so, you know, for folks like Sheila, um, we believe as sort of a distributor, our job is not just to buy fish and deliver it. Um, that's sort of maybe the old paradigm. I think the new paradigm now is that we don't just you know, we're not, in fact, we don't even consider Seattle Fish Company as a distributor. It's more of a, you know, specialty seafood uh, and gourmet, which means that sourcing is an integral part of the value that we provide this value proposition. So knowing, you know, who the credible vendors are, um, knowing ahead of time what, you know, sustainability assessments, you know, are out there and what this good, better, best model, how we can move sort of upstream to provide, um, you know, more responsible sourcing. Uh, more intentional, intentional sourcing, um, you know, sort of engagement from the source. Um, so we collect that that data. We help make some of the buying decisions. We try to be really transparent with who our vendors are, what the, the assessment scores are, and then we could pass that along. So for someone like Sheila, you know, it isn't necessarily going down to the dock and picking the fish, but I think we try to create an experience, you know, maybe as practically similar as possible, which is, you know, full transparency about the source of where our fish is, you know, any certifications that it might carry, knowing exactly what the fish looks like, and then having an open warehouse. Like, you know, it's, you know, coming down through, you know, not checking out the fish every day, but really being welcome to, to walk through. And, and I know that's a thrill for, for our folks as well, for the people that are, you know, packing fish in the back, sometimes knowing who you're packing for and seeing a face and saying, hey, you yeah. know, it, it provides a lot of higher purpose. Maybe someday we'll have to go down and and take a walk through. We'd love to get some skiing in while you're down here. Yeah, oh yeah, there you go. I'm curious about uh, what you're seeing in as far as trends. Is, uh, what's what's popular? What are restaurants asking for? Again, there's a little bit of a continuum there. I think the restaurants are challenged with some, you know, some externalities that are providing. You know, they're sort of forcing some some decisions. I, I think one salmon continues to be king. It's really well recognized. You know, it's pretty palatable to to folks. Um, so from a species standpoint, it's salmon, shrimp. I mean, some of the sort of the, the main star attractions continue to be really sort of popular. I think one of the things that we've seen, it may be not sort of a trend, but a, um, a reinforcement would be 
even through the challenge through through COVID, even through labor. I mean, we haven't talked about you know inflation. I think seafood might be up eleven percent, eighteen percent. I mean, there's you know seafood's up from a, a cost standpoint, up dramatically. But we have not seen uh, restaurateurs make uh, concessions around either uh, quality or sustainability. They might carry a different fish. They might not have things yeah. that are as premium, but um, you know they, they continue to sort of hold true to their values and, and their principles. Um, we are seeing maybe some uh, movement away from items that maybe chefs would normally fabricate in-house. They just don't necessarily have the labor. So anything we can do here to to hand cut or uh, provide still a really high quality fish, but do it in a exact size portion size, yep. uh, you know, becomes becomes important. And is that uh, something little, that would yeah. be worked out? Like your sales guys, do they talk to the chefs and they like go back and forth and like the chef says, oh, we'd really love to have this kind of cut for this many, you know, fillets or whatever. Like, is, is that how that works? Sometimes it works that way. Others would just be really kind of an awareness from the sales representatives. There are really important piece of our relationship. We believe that sort of our business is a uh, sort of a customer intimacy uh, standpoint. So we really try to have a high touch with our um, with our customers. So when we do that, um, you know, we develop, you kind of know what's important for them. So, you know, some of it is the customers coming back and saying, wow, you know, labor is really tough. Like, what can we do? You know, I need, you know, I need some relief on pricing or I can't have some labor or how do I take labor out of the market? Others could be sort of our sales representatives coming back in and proposing other solutions because it's mm. worked for others. So it's it's kind of that partnership. So besides just kind of species and products, what have these restaurants been asking for regarding sustainability, sus- sustainable, responsible products? What are the specific things that they actually ask for about that? And has that changed? Have you seen more of a focus on that in recent years or has it kind of always been there for the restaurants? Um, It's always been there in some degree. I think we see more of the uh, request for information, uh, sort of a heightened engagement around that. And then the folks that are already doing it are sort of reinforcing it. But I think more people are really asking about it. And it's part of that. I mean, you sort of asked about uh, trends and it's a good prompt. and, and as you know, maybe the restaurant industry becomes more more difficult, or as you think about engaging the restaurant tours or engaging their folks differently, one of the um, you know other maybe trends or, or, or pieces picking up is this sort of storytelling, right? So mm-hmm. really making sure that when you sort of go back out, like you're making a kind of visceral connection. Sounds you know, I don't even think that's too strong. You really are making connection with the diners about why they're out, but then. You know, everything's a star now. So it's not just the experience of going back and dining. It's not just the hospitality you deliver. It's not just the quality of the food, but now it's kind of the story behind you know, the ingredients. So we're seeing sustainability play a larger part. And I think in a credible way. I mean, I think sustainability can be overused. I think it could be sort of greenwashed. I think, you know, people can call you know, anything sustainable. And I, and I think, you know, this around a storytelling, you know, sort of maybe this emergence or reinforcement of storytelling around ingredients to make really a comprehensive and holistic dining experience is a real positive. Um, so we, we do see that there's just more engagement around uh, ingredients about where it's coming from and a heightened awareness of um, you know the provenance, the responsibility, characteristics, quality, all that around seafood but then also all the other ingredients as well. Yeah, you're seeing more and more specific labeling on menus, whether it's, if you're not, if you don't, that's where you see a consumer probably asking, hey, I want to know where you got this 
blank from. Whoop. Oh, oh, yeah. There goes my ruler. Uh, <laughs> but if if not, you you just see that on on menus more more often. I mean, I live in the coast of Maine, and when I order oysters, it's always these oysters came from here. Right. And I think oysters are like the perfect example of that. I mean, I think we we're fortunate to get oysters from sort of both coasts, and you know, it's you know, we thought. Um, you know, inside, I don't know if it's a joke or it's reality, but we felt like there's a re- reemergence of oysters. And you start through pandemic, you know, you start with sourdough, maybe you move to focaccia and you end up with, with oysters. And so, you know, we saw lots of people like, you know, at home, like not being afraid of oysters. So I think the cool thing about oysters is like, it's it's a perfect example. I think it's just a great, a great call out because oysters by their inherent nature, right? They're filter feeders. Yeah. Uh, they filter what, 50 gallons of water you know, a day and, and you have five different species and they all taste so different. So we call it like miroir, right? Like, you know, if you think of terroir as the characteristics of the grape and the vine and the weather and the soil have on one wine, miroir is the quality of the sea in parts on, on the oysters. But like in their name and inside where they're grown, it, it, it encompasses that that story, right? So they're, you know, island creeks, it's very golds or you know, just so many great oysters and different ways to grow it. And I think that provenance in the story is just built into that product. And it, just, it makes it so much fun and so much, so versatile. It's actually yeah. an interesting comparison between wine and, and oysters, which makes perfect sense. And, and, and they compare well if you do it right. Yeah, they compare well. <laughs> but when you think of, I mean, I've gone to wine tastings with my wife, but I've never gone to oyster tastings. <laughs> but you haven't? Sure the, no, I, I mean, I've, We'll, had do, oysters, we'll, we'll I, do an oyster. We'll do an oyster tasting. Okay. Well, when you guys are in Denver, we'll do it. We had done it for one of our retailers. This is, um, I think, it goes to that sustainability. This is a retailer story, maybe not food service, but the the two are very similar. And that the retailer is looking for ways to engage their customers. And it was a you know a small independent uh, called Tony's. This may be like three four years ago, but they would sell like an oyster tasting. It was pretty cheap. It was like fifty bucks, and you sort of went into their place and you get a glass of wine or beer. But we would go through. Uh, flights of oysters. So we would go through mm-hmm. four West Coast to four East Coast. We would have tasting notes. We'd have maps of where they come from. Wow. You talked about sort of the different pieces. And so um, I think, you know, that's um, it, it's true for oysters, but I think it's true for seafood is that one of the really cool things uh, is the amount of variety that seafood has. But that also, I think, you know, dovetails to the sustainability around uh, at restaurants. It's just really difficult then to also tell the store because there's so many different species. There's so much information. Right. And it drives traceability so much. Like I know that traceability has just been such a big topic in the last few years because people want to know this stuff now. So like distributors and producers, they need to find ways to keep up with that traceability and be able to deliver that information. Have you guys had to make changes over the last few years to kind of keep a more thorough records on traceability stuff with your supply chain and everything? It's a great question. So as a seafood distributor, we're required by the FDA to always maintain sort of one up and one back traceability. So we yeah. always know like where we bought it from and where we where we delivered it to. Um, and, and that's fine from a food safety standpoint. Um, but I think when you expand on that, it gives a couple benefits. So one, as we think about the entire supply chain, sort of from either, you know, capture or or, or growth, right, harvest into where it ultimately goes, you can now see through traceability, you know, how many people are sort of touching it. So I think it adds a lot of value to the supply chain by making sure that if there's folks that are in there that are not providing value, that you know you know, you just remove them. You kind of exit because yeah. they're just adding sort of cost. The second 
piece that that I think really enables. And I think we, we haven't done a perfect job, but we're trying is to then with that increased visibility of the supply chain, and this is what we talked about before, this new paradigm is that we're also, you know, taking capture, uh, catch, growth, providence, you know, producer uh, data. We're sort of attaching it to the product when we buy it, sort of virtually inside sort of our ERP. And then we're distributing that information or passing it through to the customer, just like we have uh, just like the fish. So it's like a maybe metadata that sits on top of the physical product. So as we're distributing the physical product, we're also able to distribute, you know, these these attributes. And uh, we don't do it for, uh, you know, all products. Is it, It's really, I think we don't have a great mechanism right now to be able to deliver it in, in a way that's easy to be palatable. We put a lot of it on our invoice, but then, you know, that's static and, you know, sometimes it just goes to AP. And so I think I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, to be able to use the data that we're already connecting in a more um, uh, resourceful way that then connects to what diners want around providence and storytelling and you know connection with their their ingredients. Yeah, and the restaurants need to figure out how to bridge that gap of communication, right? Like when they get their product and they get the information of where it comes from and how it got there, their clients, their customers may ask that question and then they need to be able to have their servers and their chefs know that story so they can communicate that to their customers. I know there's been some companies that are trying to develop ways to make that transfer of communication and knowledge easier. And I don't know if there's really a, quote, best option yet that people have really figured out, but that that's definitely a challenge. Do you know of like any restaurants that do a really good job of communicating that information to their customers and kind of how they do that? Maybe some people who who are listening here that work with or, or for restaurants can, uh, you know, get some get some ideas. Yeah, I think there's uh, examples both from uh, distributor level, restaurant level, and then even vendor level. One of the things that we've tried to do um, at Seattle Fish Company today is the, the second. So we just sent out a, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred reports is we use something called an EcoScore, uh, where our sustainability and purchasing folk went through for kind of every item that we carry, every seafood item, uh, and they linked um, the appropriate uh, certification. So what's, you know, Aquacult ASC, what's, you know, BAP two-star, four-star, what's MBA, um, and, and sort of capture all of those attributes. Uh, we've then benchmarked those to try to figure out how we think that a Monterey Bay yellow might, you know, compare to a, a Monterey Bay green versus ASA or BAP based on sort of 10 attributes. And then, you know, based on the weight and, and the purchases for the month, we sent uh, a report out to Kind of all the all of our customers that use this called the EcoScore. So it will summarize your monthly purchases, what every item you bought, sort of the weight, and then the score relative. And it's all open. We're not coming up with our own certification. We're just mm -hmm. we're saying on these ten attributes, this is how we think it scores, and cool. we send that out. And so you know, it's probably not granular enough for servers to communicate with um, uh, patrons or diners, but but it is enough for a chef to make. Uh, credible buying decisions. So they can say, hey, this is really, you know, shellfish scores really, really high just because they're, there's amazing sort of um, just a sustainable sort of product. So you can reinforce some of that and there's something at the bottom of the list. Somebody could say, well, how could I trade or what would be my next choice? We're not saying don't buy something, but it's going to be, you know, I don't know, what would sort of be on the low end of a, you know, Monterey Bay Red or, you know, somebody, somebody could move up. So that's one thing that we provide. Um, I think on a vendor side, you do have some folks, you um, 
you know, from farms, I think it's pretty easy because it's all single source. Wild capture fishery is a little bit harder. We had some folks with, you know, Gulf Wild or uh, Niceland Seafood was another that we carry. And they actually have like QR codes. And yeah. um, so on, you can scan the QR code uh, and you can know exactly where, you know, what vessel caught the fish and where it was. And mm-hmm. there's some infrastructure behind that that takes quite a bit. So I don't know that that's completely scalable, uh, but that's uh, one. And then I think, you know, we've talked about Sheila. Uh, Lucero, Jacks, they do such a good job uh, of engaging sort of consumers about where the product comes from. So I think, um, you know, it's, I think what it takes is a, a little bit of, you know, first you need to have a champion, right? Either at the vendor level, the distributor level, or the, the restaurant level. Um, they need to have a little bit of time and capacity. And then you, you, I think you just need to start with um, those that are uh, maybe easier or most influential, right? It's sort of taking everything all at once is really difficult, but if you start, it becomes sort of a, a reinforcing. So if, you know, a restaurant serving, you know, oysters, maybe telling about the, the story about oysters and how they positively impact the environment is really helpful. Or, you know, if you have a specialty fish and it happens to be, I don't know, a wreck fish that's seasonal for, for two months or two weeks, you know, sort of telling sort of that story. So I think those are, you know, some examples, I think, of, of good ones. But we do think, I think, um, we went out for, for my birthday. Um, it was Father's Day. And so we were up in the mountains and we went to the restaurant. And I said, hey, what I really, and this is um, three months ago. I said, it's really important for me. And we never, when we, we got out a lot, um, and my wife and I have four kids, they're all younger. We don't, we don't like and, and it's a personal choice, but we don't like phones and iPads and all that stuff at, at the table, right? It's just kind of distracting and trying to set some some limits with that, mm-hmm. uh, at least in one place, which is the restaurants. <laughs> I said, for yeah. my birthday, I, I don't I don't want to see a phone. Like, I want to sit down. I want to dine. I want to eat. Like, n- no phones, no iPads. Don't even bring them. So we showed up at the restaurant. And, of course, you know, it's kind of COVID. So nobody's, nobody's printing menus. And they're like, here's your QR code. So, oh. <laughs> you know, six of us are just left inside the restaurant with absolutely no way to order. So we had to beg, you know, for some paper menus. News. And I think they, they literally just printed them off in, in sort of the back. Yeah. So, but that's, oh, that's the funny. reality now. And I think, frankly, that opens up a ton of opportunity to start messaging about the product. So you have somebody bringing out a phone, scan a QR code, pulls up a menu. I mean, that's not a, a, a small, um, it's not a, it's not a, it's not even a, a small a sort of step to just chuck a link down inside of that PDF that would be like, here's my, you know, Riverence trout, and you click on the link and it shows you the farm or where it came from. It just opens up so much opportunity for storytelling. And I think folks have done that with iPads and wine. We've talked about wine before, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, they'll bring out an iPad, and you have a wine, and you go through the list and you push it, and then it'll tell about like, here's your tasting notes, and this is where it came from, and this is this vintage versus the other. So um, I, I think that's probably where I would expect some of this to, to go. Uh, and just based on what's already out there. Yeah, that's true. The technology is already there. You see it on packaging in supermarkets. That QR code is just so handy. And I think because it's more streamlined now, I, I, you just you brought up a really good point. It got me a little excited to think about, I mean, you could almost make it into a, while you're waiting for your food to come out, you can explore menus yeah. r- into much more finer detail. And it's good teachable moments for the, for younger kids who are eating with you or just even for adults who need, want to learn more about it doesn't even have to be seafood even though that's what we're focusing on it could be so many things it's just such a great and if technology advance if you have that information about what boat it was captured by or what you know what farm it came from or whatever you can use that to your advantage to like you said connect with people by telling stories and literally show like a photo of the person that caught that fish or the person that raised you know who owns the farm that that fish was raised at i mean that's 
powerful stuff that we're not there yet, I don't think, but I think, yeah. you know, I, it, it's close. And I think that could be really, really useful. It's because people, I mean, we're always asking those questions and now it, it's becoming more, more and more like the, the majority, I feel like are now asking those types of questions. So it's how does the industry change to meet that demand? You know, one of the things that just listening to you talk, this is great and um, really enjoying the conversation is thinking about, um, you know, we're, the topic is sustainability, but but why is it sustainability, right? Like sustainability, it, it's not it's the end of it. And I think when I hear you talk and I think I think of then that sustainability isn't just, hey, where'd the product come from? But sustainability really serves as a proxy for kind of the impact of, of our food. And, and you know, I, our kids, um, I have we have ranging from eight to, to 15, um, they're hyper aware of how their choices impact the world. And, and I don't know that they're, they're different. I mean, I think like most people are aware of, you know, our kids, like I'll use a plastic bag, like dad, you should use Tupperware. Like, you know, they're mm-hmm. judgy. They're always judging me. They're always <laughs> right. judging me. Uh, but I think, you know, part of that That's thing comes job. down mm-hmm. to like, <laughs> this might, yeah, I guess now I have, I have <laughs> five people against me, including my wife, but um, it's really about how our choices impact our, our planet, right? That's kind of sustainability. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we're not pulling too much, you know, sort of a, a resources from, from the earth. Let's make sure that the, the choices that we make are, are sensible and they provide for future generations, my kids, their kids. Um, but I think more so this starts to link to climate change. And we've seen so much conversation around, yeah. you know, climate change, ESG reporting. So I think as you're saying, diners engaging around where they are, you know, where the fish comes from, but even beyond, like, where does it come from? But what was the carbon impact of this? I mean, I think, you know, what, what do menus look like now? Like you go into a, you know, out of fast food or some kind of a mainstream fast casual kind of thing. And they're, they put calorie counts on there. And I think it's kind of cool, right? Like it's just, you know, and, and it's completely transparent, but I don't know, you think five years you'll have carbon footprint underneath it. I don't, I don't know, but I don't think that's cool. kind of a stretch, right? So you'll have stretch. your own. Yeah kind of somebody called it a food print right you have carbon footprint and then you have your food print but i mean that's kind of what i think sustainability becomes and it will continue to evolve and i think just technology transparency um shrinking and consolidation of the supply chain all those things are really good things uh and i think they just enable uh more engagement on your food i think that's good for seafood i think that's good for 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 you know for 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 our industry for diners for restaurants for everybody and we have been talking a lot about sustainability. That's a, a word we've been using a lot. And actually, name of the show is the Seafood and Sustainability Podcast. But we have in our organization and on the podcast too, and when we're speaking, you know, we're trying to not just focus on the word sustainable. We're actually trying to use the word responsible more when we're talking about seafood. Because you know, sustainability, like you said, it, it evokes a certain, a, a limited scope of descriptors when we're looking at seafood, right? And so when we're talking about responsible seafood, not only are we looking at environmental responsibility, we're also looking at social responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, it, it just opens up to this whole, uh, to all of these other things that go into the production of seafood beyond just uh, environmental impact. So, you know, that's that's a shift that's starting to happen. We're starting to see people focus less on sustainable seafood and more on responsible seafood, which is just another interesting topic. And that's not something that we need to get into on on this episode because you know we're focusing more on restaurants and stuff. But I, I just wanted to point that out that that's uh, that's a bigger conversation that's starting mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah, and we see and and maybe just um, a bookend on that. Then is we're starting to even see some of our partners like banks or uh, you know, lenders even ask about you know ESG 
type reports. So I think, you know, where they've never been involved in sustainability, they're kind of, they're, they're curious. And I think, yeah. you know, it's not probably a stretch to think for loan docs or any kind of application, there's going to be some kind of piece of, you know, tell me about, you know, these other sort of responsible practices that you have. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I, I don't want to keep you too long. You know, it's a busy day for all of us. And I'm sure you're kind of just starting your day, right? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it starts early in the, in the fish world, but um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very like, true. He's been um, up for six hours. Yeah, he's been, I've, been, I've been working for the last four years. I haven't stopped. Um, you, Derek, anything, anything else that you want to get out there, you know, while you have the platform, while, while you have our, you're in our listeners' ears. So, you know, what, what's kind of your final message that you'd like to get out there? Yeah, maybe a couple thoughts sort of um, come to mind. One, um, you know, I, I guess I'd start with just thanks for the, the forum. I think I've really enjoyed sort of this, this discussion. I mean, I think it's really even prompted you know, thoughts that I hadn't, you know, considered in terms of how we use some of the data, how we use some of the information, you know, how we engage sort of our, our public uh, or our, you know, our stakeholders or our customers. Um, but I think it becomes apparent when we think through that lens that, you know, there's no, so we're talking about sort of seafood and sort of restaurants and that's perfect. We as Seattle Fish Company don't engage uh, the diners, right? Like we as yeah. a Fish Company also don't, you know, necessarily grow or, capture the, the product, right? We have fishers and farmers, producers that, that we partner with. So um, it really is a partnership and, and, and a collaboration. So I think that's maybe an insight that just is really reinforced through a conversation to today. And I'd, I'd echo is that, you know, we don't get to where we want to. One, we're all connected, right? There's no, um, you know, there's, there's going to be no sort of you know, solo efforts here, right? Our, our fates rise and fall with, you know, the, the, the work of, of, of each other. And, and you, you, you know, I think the days of, you know, limited transparency and, and, and sort of, you know, some, some solo action or sort of uh, sunsetting, and, and, which is exciting. So I think now yeah. it becomes, you know, how do we aggregate folks around sort of a, a common goal, you know, and, and, and a common mission? Um, we do believe that, you know, aggregating, uh, you know, sort of like-minded folks is, is important, right? So we do that through a Colorado Restaurant Association. We do that through like-minded people with Sheila. We think the National Fisheries Institute does a good job um, with that as well. Uh, I'd probably say from either, you know, a restaurant tour or industry folk that, um, you know, these aren't things you solve right away. I think you probably do a lot of good just by going to one of your larger customers or somebody that's, you know, fairly progressive or like-minded, just sort of saying what's what's important, what's kind of the, the next step. I mean, I think when we got involved in this, it was really difficult to try to figure out where, where to even start. Uh, but I think once you do one thing, it kind of reinforces sort of doing the, the next. And we're seeing a lot more collaboration in this pre-competitive collaboration around, you know, making making impact. So Great. Well, Justin? If there's any of our listeners that want to learn more or want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way that they can do that? Yeah, email is always pretty easy. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. So it's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at seattlefish.com. Perfect. We'll make sure to. Yeah, I'd love that. to hear from people, even even a challenge, right? Like you're you're wrong, or do something different, or. I mean, again, we talked about this as being a, a community, and, and I think uh, we'd love to sort of spur uh, more of the the conversations. Yeah, for sure. Derek, is uh, is Seattle Fish Company open to the public? Do you have like a small retail area where people can come, or is it is it completely closed off to that? Yeah, we're completely closed off. When we started in this building, maybe '82, like 30 years ago, we had a small retail shop. Mm -hmm. uh, we loved engaging sort of the public, but we found that as our retail presence, we would compete. Grew, we would compete with our our customers 
Uh, and it, yeah, it's just, it was difficult. I mean, that whole retail is just, uh, I mean, you know, one of this, two of the, I mean, things we just weren't equipped for it. So I think what we've tried to do is really take the weight of all of that and throw it behind kind of our retail partners. So, um, yeah, just, just invest in that. Great. Awesome. Well, Derek Figueroa, we really appreciate it. Uh, again, he's the president and CEO of Seattle Fish Company in Denver. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you guys reaching out to us. Uh, to share, you know, your stories and your knowledge. And, uh, you know, thanks for what you guys do regarding your focus and uh, on responsible seafood and making sure that we're doing things right. You know, I think these are the stories that need to be told, the people that are doing things right. And we really appreciate you doing that and uh, and joining us. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, it'd be great. Thanks. I've really enjoyed our time. Thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. Thanks for accepting sort of our, uh, our, our request. And I think it's a good testament to sort of the platform that you all have to to, to really message and communicate and provoke, you know, thought and change. So thanks. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm excited about this. All right, folks, that was our conversation with Derek Figueroa from Seattle Fish Company. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something. And remember to reach out to him via email or via their website if you want to get in contact with them and, and maybe do some work with Seattle Fish Company. I want to remind everybody one more time to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so that you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. And we are on Twitter, as most of you already know, at AquademiaPod. If you are on Twitter and you're not following us please do so and if you also would like to contact us we do have an online fillable form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast that's right you can choose to give some episode suggestion topics topic suggestions or if you just want to be a guest yeah, you want to know of the guest or you just want to say hi or if you want to sponsor the show, you know, we can start that dialogue as well. So make sure you use that form on the website. And lastly, if you are feeling a little bit generous and you want to help support the show and help spread the word, we would really appreciate if you took a couple minutes to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts so we can get on some more charts and get in front of more potential listeners to just grow the community. With that, I want to say thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye. Thank you.